You are listening to the New Spring Church Podcast. We're glad you're here. We want everyone everywhere to have an everyday relationship with Jesus, and we hope that this helps you do just that. Father God, we worship you and we do. We hail your name. And Lord, we take the voice, every voice at every single one of our campuses, and we join the millions of followers of Jesus through history and time, and we just add to the chorus of your praise and your worship. You are worthy on this resurrection weekend, and we, we God, are blown away again at your power and your kindness, your love, your mercy, and your grace. And we lift up the name of Jesus Christ, our risen Savior, our risen King. Come on, church, would you lift up a shout of hallelujah, a hand clap. We love you, Lord. We bless your name. You're what it's all about. Jesus Christ, our Messiah. In your name we pray. And everybody says together, amen, amen, amen. Well, before you take a seat, why don't you turn around and greet somebody. Give them a high five. Shake a hand. Hello, everyone on all of our campuses. You look great, church. To all the fellas in the room wearing the adult hoodie like me, you got your blazer, your suit on, you're looking good. All the pastels in the room, there's a strong pastel vibe here today. Welcome, welcome. Hey, uh, Anderson Campus, can you help us welcome all of the folks that are leaning in online and are watching and joining? We're so grateful that you're here, wherever you are. Uh, If you're a guest with us, on behalf of the pastors and the staff and the folks that call New Spring Church home. We are so honored to have you. Uh, we, we love you and we're grateful for you being here and uh, we hope you'll come back soon, okay? Uh, we hope you feel blessed and you hope get, you get encouraged today as we are lifting up and sharing the, the gospel message. Easter, I was telling my kids this morning, Easter is the centerpiece of the entire Christian faith, that we have a God who came And he lived as a man and died on the cross for the forgiveness of sins. He did not remain dead. He resurrected on the third day. And we celebrate 2,000 years later on the other side of the planet from where the event happened. We have not gotten over it. We've not gotten over it. And so Easter is such a big deal and we're so grateful. If you got your Bible and you want to open them up, I'm going to be preaching today from the Gospel of Luke I'm going to be all over the Gospels, but the Gospel of Luke chapter 22 is where I'm going to be in just a moment. And uh, I'm just again, I'm so grateful that you're here. Uh, My goal today is to be absolutely real and authentic. I hope you get encouraged today. I hope the message of the Gospel, it lands on your heart in such a way that it impacts the rest of your week. I believe that that's the heart of God. Our vision statement here at New Spring Church is we don't want to be a people that just gather on a Sunday. We want you to have an everyday relationship with Jesus because we believe that's what he wants. That his desire is to reach everyone everywhere with an everyday relationship with Jesus. And so I hope this Easter Sunday would just spill over into a Monday and a Tuesday and a Wednesday. And we are here to serve you to do that. And so again, if you're ready for a little bit of preaching, would you say amen with me? Amen. Let me start by asking a question as I open up my notes. I was sitting uh, at a lunch a couple of weeks ago with a young man from our church, and he asked me to go to lunch because he's a husband and a dad, and uh, new husband, new dad. Got one kiddo, and we're sitting at lunch, and, and he's asking me questions, and he asked me this question. He, he says, Brad, how has failure shaped your life? And I thought, that's a really good question. 
I don't know if you like good questions, but I'm a collector of good questions, and I think that is a fantastic question that he asked. How has failure shaped your life? And I had to think for a moment, so I'm just going to push that right across the table this morning at you, and I ask you, how would you answer that question? How has failure shaped your life? And what are the places and the spaces where failure, maybe failures of the generations before you, maybe the failures of of a mom or dad or the failures of society or maybe even your own personal failures as you look in the mirror, how has it shaped your life? And we sat around as husbands and dads and I just shared with him some mistakes I'd made as a husband, some mistakes I'd made as a father, but how I'd learned from them. How, how many of you husbands are grateful for grace and forgiveness? You're married to a wife that'll extend forgiveness when you say, I'm sorry, my bad. Uh, how many of you dads are parenting and I tell my kids all the time, hey, there was, there was no like a, a practice round for this, okay? We, you, you showed up kicking and screaming, and uh, your mom and I, we're learning as we go, okay? Uh, so we're trying to do the best we can, but man, I'm so grateful for grace and forgiveness, and I've learned from failures in my life, and I tried to give him a little bit of wisdom. Today, this Easter message is around that question being posed of the life and the experience of one of Jesus' disciples, Peter. And I want to share with you what I believe he would share with us around that question. How has failure shaped your life? How has failure and learning from failure shaped your life? Here's Before we jump into the text, here's what I want you to know. I want you to know that being honest with our failures and being honest with our shortcomings, I know we're all dressed up in in our literal Sunday best today on Easter. But I want you to know that We've got so much to learn from our mistakes and failure, and it's a good thing to learn, and there is grace to learn from our failure. And Peter was somebody that was acquainted with failure and shame. He was acquainted with mistakes, and he was acquainted with how Jesus, how God would respond to those mistakes. And so here's what I want you to write down, the note that I want you to write down. I want you to understand that Easter is the celebration of how God can take What the enemy intends for evil, and he can use it for good. That's that's what Easter is about. That's why all the ruckus, that's why all the music, that's why all the gathering across the world. Easter is the celebration of how God can take what the enemy intends for evil. The failures of the world, the mistakes and the sin of the world. The enemy has a plan to use those. But God, in his power and sovereignty, can take those things and he can turn them mysteriously, powerfully, providentially, and he can use it for good. If you're a Christian saint in the room and you have seen God use evil in your life and experience in your life and use it for good, could you give me an amen and a hand raise this morning? This is the celebration of Easter. He could take a bloody cross and he can make it a resurrection empty tomb. He could take the Roman powerful, um, oppressive society of 2,000 years ago and use it for the resurrection to be the backdrop of how the Christian message gets all over the world. And he can take the mistakes and failures in your life and in mine, and he can use them for good. How many of you know as we come up on time to plant some flower season, I think the frost is gone, that the very best fertilizer for good plants is manure and ashes. Manure and ashes makes the very best fertilizer and it grows the very best fruit. I believe God designed it that way so that we might believe and trust that he can take our mistakes and our failures 
and he could use it to bring the very best fruit in our lives and in our legacies. And we're going to lean into Peter's story today and learn from that. So in Luke chapter 22, the night that, that very first Easter, the night that Peter would ultimately experience, I believe, his greatest failures. If we were sitting with Peter and we said, hey, Peter, what have you learned from your failures? I think that he would tell us in a story and he would take us to a location. He would take us actually to this location right here. He would take us to this is modern day location. This is in Israel. And this location right here is a, a beautiful drone footage of a church that's now built over top of where Peter had his greatest failure. This is the location of Caiaphas's house. This is the location where they took Jesus on the night before he went to the cross and he stood trial in front of the religious leaders, the Sanhedrin. And the Bible records that Peter was there. And I think Peter would tell us, what have you learned from failure? What is, how has failure shaped your life? He would take us here. He would take us to Caiaphas's house. And so let's read about it. Let's read about what happened here. Right before Peter gets here to Caiaphas' house, he's actually talking with Jesus, the disciples are, finishing up the Last Supper and going to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray on that first Easter night. Jesus tells the disciples that he's going to go die, and he actually has a little side conversation with Peter. He, uh, also known as Simon, says this in Luke 22, verse 31. He says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. And Peter says to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. But Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny Three times that you even know me. A little bit of background on Peter. Peter is the name mentioned in the Gospels more times than anybody else except Jesus. Um, Peter is the one that we see speak the most often in the Gospels. And Peter says some incredible things in the Gospels. In Matthew 16, Peter was the one who called Jesus the Christ. I know you know this, but Jesus wasn't born to the Christ family. His last name was not Christ. Mom and dad weren't Joseph and Mary Christ who lived down there on Straight Street. Jesus was the Christ. He was the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy. And it was Peter there in Matthew 16 that called him the Christ. Jesus said, your blood, your flesh and blood and your father here on earth is not the one that showed you that. But my father in heaven is who showed you that. You are speaking on behalf of heaven, Peter, when you call me the Christ. But it was also Jesus who told Peter in Matthew 16, just a few, a few short verses after that, that you're speaking on behalf of Satan. Just in Matthew 16, Peter actually says that when Jesus says he's going to go and die, Peter says, no, you're not, Lord. That's not going to happen. You will not go and die. And Jesus calls him Satan. Think about that. What a turn of events. He says, Peter, get behind me, Satan. You're not speaking on behalf of heaven now. You're actually speaking on behalf of of hell. And so this church is where we learn our own frailty as humans. Peter, just like us, in one moment could speak on behalf of heaven, and the very next chapter he could speak on behalf of hell. And this is where Peter is. We find ourselves in Peter. 
Peter, in many moments, is celebrated for opening his mouth and saying the right thing, but so many times he opens his mouth and he says the exact wrong thing. And so this is who Peter is. And so the night before Jesus goes to the cross on that first Easter, Jesus pulls him aside and has this loving pastoral conversation. You see, Jesus was his rabbi. I want you to catch what this means because we miss this in our American Western context. But three years previous, Jesus had invited Peter to come and follow him, to leave his fishing nets and come and follow Jesus, to become a disciple. Uh, If you're wanting to know what a disciple is, I want to tell you what a disciple is. Here it is. A disciple, here's their goal. A disciple was, their goal was to know what the rabbi knows, to do what the rabbi does, for the reason that the rabbi does it, in order to be just like the rabbi in his walk with God. This is the goal of a disciple, that when we come to follow Jesus, when Peter had come to follow Jesus, he wanted to know what the rabbi knows so that he might do what the rabbi does for the exact reason that the rabbi does it. And so Peter had been invited into this relationship of following his rabbi, and so the rabbi, Jesus, by the way, is a genius teacher, brilliant teacher. And he pulls Peter over to the side and he says, the enemy's gonna come after you. He's asked to sift you, which just side note, that's how it works, by the way. There is nothing that comes through the Father's hands. He's always the one that filters what the enemy can bring into our lives. And that happened to to Peter. And so Peter says, no, Lord, I won't deny you. I'll, I'll go to prison. I'll go, I'll even die for you. And the Lord says, no, you know, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. And just a few short moments later, Luke 22 continues, and it says that as they're praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, here's what happens. Let's read it together. As they're praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, the Sanhedrin and their army, their, their, their military force, the actual guard, comes and they seize Jesus. And they led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. That was the actual location we were just looking at. And Peter was following at a distance, and when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. And and then a servant girl, seeing Peter as he sat in the light, looking closely at him, she says these words. She says, this man right here, he was also with him, but he denied it. Woman, I do not know him, 58. And a little later, someone else saw him, and he said, you also are one of them. But Peter said, man, I am not, second time, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour still, another insisted, certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. I don't know if it was his dress or his accent, something gave him away. He too is a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you're talking about. Matthew's gospel actually says that he started cursing and swearing. But look what verse 60 says. It says, after Peter says, man, I don't know what you're talking about, immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crows. And the Lord, check this out, verse 61, Jesus turns and he looks at Peter. Now, we don't know exactly how this happened, but Peter says over here in this conversation on the other side of the courtyard, I don't know him. And then as soon as that happens, the rooster crows and they lock eyes across the courtyard. Maybe Jesus is over here being beaten He's he's standing there on the other side of the courtyard and and they lock eyes and you can just feel the emotion 
of them connecting, and all of a sudden, the flood of what Jesus had just told him earlier. You're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. And look what the scripture says. It says, and Peter went out and he wept bitterly. This is the greatest failure in Peter's life. This is the, the failure that would shape his life. This, this passage is loaded with shame. You can feel it in his emotion. He, he really, guys, I don't know that we understand this. In the first century rabbinical context, to deny your rabbi would have been, I mean, absolutely brutal. It would have been like spitting in the face of Jesus, which, by the way, had happened on this night. And so many commentators actually say it was Peter who had the greater denial even over and against Judas who betrayed Jesus. And so when it comes to the question of how will failure shape this disciple, this is what we've got to deal with. This is his greatest moment of failure. Now, I want us to put a button in this moment because we know what happens. Jesus is denied by Peter. From this point, he goes to Pilate. He ends up being mocked, he ends up having a crown forced down on his head. He ultimately ends up carrying the cross, being crucified. He dies. But I want us to lift up from that moment and let's ask this question, a little lighter question. Let's ask this question of Peter. How has success shaped your life, Peter? Peter, I know how failure has shaped your life, but you are like many of us. We have failures and we have successes. How has success shaped your life? And I believe, New Spring Church, that Peter would take us to a location in Israel. He would take us to a location in Israel and he'd say, this is the location of, of one of my greatest, most successful, humble, humbly I would say my most successful moments. He would take us to this location right here. And if it looks familiar, that's because it is. It's the exact same location, but just six weeks later, Peter would be back in this exact same location. But now he's on the other side of a resurrected Christ. Now he's on the other side of the Holy Spirit coming and now it's not Jesus who's actually standing trial in this exact same location, but it's Peter. And here's the point that I wanna bring this morning and I wanna hopefully stir some hope in your heart is that in this exact same location, Peter was both a denier of Jesus and then fast forward some days later and Peter in this exact same location was a declarer of Christ. It was in this exact same location that Peter was an absolute coward and he wept bitterly after denying his Lord three times. And it was in this exact same location that Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, was full of courage and he preached a gospel message that the Bible actually says after 3,000 had already responded to the good news, on this day, 2,000 more respond and so now the church is a is a group of 5,000 men and women who have responded to the message. So the question is that I've got to pose to us is, we've got to answer this, is what happened to Peter? How did he go from denier to declarer? How did he go from, listen to me, how did he go from being a coward to being courageous? How does this kind of transformation happen for a human being who has blown it? Because if we can nail this down, then we can find out how that might happen for each one of us. How does it happen for us to step into this transformational weekend, Easter, the most transformational weekend of the year, the most potential and power for transformation in each one of our lives? How did it go from Peter being bitter and broken and denying Christ to being full of courage and boldness and declaring him? How does this occur? Well, let's just tell a little bit of the story. 
The Bible tells us that there were two things ultimately that Peter experienced. I'm going to show them to you in just a moment. But let me tell the story about how he got to that courtyard and declared Christ. The Bible says that after Jesus resurrected and he reveals himself to his church, that he sends his Holy Spirit. And the same things that Jesus was doing in the gospel, now his church was doing in the book of Acts. If you want a little bit of a deep dive, I encourage you, go and read the book of Acts, the first 15 verses, and just look for Peter. And look at what the Holy Spirit in Peter is doing. He, he looks like a superhero. Completely different than the Peter that was a coward in the Gospels. He looks like an absolute superhero. The only difference was he was walking in the resurrection power of the Holy Spirit. That was the only difference. And so Peter, at the beginning of the book of Acts, he starts to preach the good news. And maybe you remember this. We'll talk more about this next week, actually, as we start a brand new series. But in Acts chapter 2, the whole church is filled with the Holy Spirit for the very first time. He sends Jesus, his spirit, to fill up the church. They proclaim the good news. People respond to the good news. 3,000 in a day become Christ followers and followers of the way. Peter and John and some of the disciples, they are sharing this good news. In chapter 3, they're actually going to the temple to worship, and there is a paralyzed beggar that's sitting at the temple doors. Apparently, this beggar is set there every single day. They can't work, and so they are living on the generosity of the worshipers of Yeshua, of Yahweh. And so they're asking for money. As they walk by, Peter and John lock eyes with them, and they say, can I have some can I have some money? I don't know if they're holding up something or what, but Peter actually says, I want you to look at me. Look at me. And then says these words, silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I give to you freely. In the name of Jesus, stand up and walk. And church, do you know what happens? The paralyzed beggar stands up and walks. Now, I know that we're in church today, and I know many of us have grown up hearing these stories, but like I tell my kids, this is not a fairy tale. This is not the same thing as Marvel Universe. This is truth and history, and every eyewitness there would bear witness to this reality, and this paralyzed beggar stands up and begins to walk. And I don't know what happened there in, in that room, but I believe people would have been like absolutely astonished at this. This isn't Jesus now doing this miracle. This is someone filled with the spirit of Jesus, Peter. And people begin to create a ruckus. Worship begins to break out. There's a revival spirit in the air. And all of a sudden, the religious leaders get nervous. And right there in Acts chapter 3, the same guards that came and arrested Jesus on the first Easter, they come and arrest Peter and John in Acts chapter 3. And they take them right back to that location where Christ had stayed overnight before he went to the cross. Now, here's what I've got to ask us. What do you think's going through Peter and John's mind as they are in that prison cell? Literally, you can go there today, and you can see the holes in the stone where they would have held their arms up and strapped them overnight in that prison cell. Peter and John would have absolutely known what happens to men who stay overnight in that prison cell. They knew what the spirit of the day was like. They had just been there in the courtyard previously, staying there the night their Lord had died. But the Bible records in Acts chapter four that after they gather everyone, 
in the Sanhedrin, all of the, the, the folks that are going to judge, the high priest and his family, that they come out the next morning, they bring Peter and John out to stand trial, and they tell them, how did you do this? Whose name are you preaching in? And they unapologetically, Peter unapologetically, full of humility but full of confidence, says, I am preaching the good news of Jesus Christ, the risen Savior, the one that you crucified who rose from the dead. He is the Messiah. He is the Christ. And you know what? They end up huddling up and breaking, saying, what are we going to do, guys? They're preaching in the name of Jesus, and somebody there in the Sanhedrin says, yeah, and not only that, there is this paralyzed beggar that everybody saw. They're now healed. They're walking around. They're dancing. They have performed an unbelievable sign. This is supernatural. We cannot deny it. We cannot deny it. What are we going to do? So the Sanhedrin's big idea is to come back and give them a stern talking to. Peter and John... Stop doing this. Stop talking in the name of Jesus. We're going to let you go. We're not going to kill you because the people would riot. They've seen the miracle, but stop preaching in the name of Jesus. Now, I want you to look at Peter's response. It's recorded in Acts chapter 4, verse 19. Here's what Peter says. Look at this. He says this, but Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and what we have heard. Right then and there, the same place Peter denied Christ, he professes him. Right then and there, the same place that he was a coward, now he's courageous. The exact same spot. And he says, we can't help but what we've seen and heard. So that brings a natural question. Here's a question we've got to ask, right? All, all over the state today, we've got to ask this question. What did Peter see and hear? What happened in those weeks between the crucifixion and the resurrection to this moment that they saw and heard. Two things, and I want you to write these two things down. I want you to jot them down because they're going to be the same things that you and I might experience today that brings restoration and that brings healing and that changes and transforms us. The first thing that they saw and heard, number one, he had seen the resurrected Jesus. He actually saw him. John chapter 20 is where this is recorded. The Bible says that very early on Easter morning before the sun went up, Mary and some of the women went to the tomb to see Jesus' body, to prepare him. And when they got there, the stone had been rolled away. There was no body. The women go back and find Peter and John. Peter and John run to the tomb. They walk into the tomb. They see nothing but the burial clothes. They come out and they're astonished. What is going on? What has happened? They leave and go back and tell the disciples, Mary lingers, she meets the resurrected Jesus. Remember, she thinks he's the gardener. And he lovingly says, Mary, it's me. And she turns and realizes it's her rabbi. She even calls him that, Rabboni, my teacher. And he says, hey, don't cling to me. Go back and tell the brothers that I am risen. Mary goes back and tells the brothers. Later that day, John 20 tells us, they're in the upper room. The doors are locked. And all of a sudden, Jesus just appears. Now, I don't know if he just like walked through the wall or if he did like a, uh, you know, like a Star Trek thing and he just kind of like, here he is. But the first thing he says after he gets there is he says, peace be with you. Now, I imagine the reason he says peace be with you is because everybody started freaking out. Like these are real people, okay? Like what if you're sitting there today behind locked doors and somebody just zooms at your dinner table? You'd freak out too. But he says, peace be with you. And then he looks over at somebody's plate and he says, hey, is that some sea bass? I would like a bite of that. And he eats some fish. I know it's funny, but I want you to know the reason this is there is because this is an internal witness 
Commentators talk about this is one of the ways we can know that it was exactly true because people talked about the specifics of this moment. Jesus shows up and he eats with the disciples there. Here's my point, okay? Peter was in the room. He talked to Jesus. They got to handle his hands. They got to handle his side. As a matter of fact, he comes back eight days later in that same room because Thomas wasn't there in this moment just so Thomas could come and put his hands in his hands and his side. Listen, here's the point. Peter knew that Jesus Christ had died on the cross and resurrected in power. He had experienced the resurrection of Jesus, but Jesus was not done with Peter. And this is where I need you to feel this personally because there was still more to Peter's story. The second thing that Peter experienced was he heard the restoration of Jesus. And I believe on a Sunday morning, in South Carolina, in 2023, that this is a massive big deal for you, especially if you have grown up hearing about Easter, maybe even trusting your salvation to Christ. Peter had a massive way to go from the space of resurrection to the space of restoration. Let me, let me exemplify it like this. Peter had experienced the resurrected Christ but Peter had a gap from his resurrection knowledge to the restoration of Peter. I want everybody to look up at this screen and take a mental note. This is such a big deal. Peter knew that Jesus had resurrected from the dead. He was a Christian in that moment. He had placed his faith in Christ. But Peter, at the same time, had not yet experienced the restoration of Jesus. If Peter had died he would have gone to heaven. But I believe from the scripture, Peter was not living a fully freed life just having the knowledge of restoration. I believe Jesus Christ wanted to close the gap down in Peter's life from resurrection to restoration. And are you looking at me? I believe that my, that might be exactly what he wants to do for you and me this weekend. Because I believe all over the state of South Carolina and filling up churches all over the world, there are men and women that believe that Jesus died on the cross for sins, believe that his blood is effective in covering our brokenness, believe that he resurrected on the third day, and there are men and women that have gotten their fire insurance. Y'all know what I'm talking about when I say fire insurance? But here's what I want to suggest to you. When we leave this gathering today and we go home, you, like me, will do this. You'll take off your church clothes. And you will enter into whatever your dress wardrobe is for the rest of your life. And I believe that this is exactly what Peter did. He left that resurrection knowledge room and he went right back to Galilee and he says as much. He tells the disciples, fellas, I'm going where? I'm going fishing. Some of y'all knew it. He says, I'm going fishing. He's going right back to work. He's taking off his church clothes and he's getting real. So I want to get real with you because I believe there's a massive gap in the American church between knowledge of the resurrection of Christ and the encounter that Jesus would want to have with you to restore you to fullness. He is coming to bring a new creation. He is not okay with just letting you have knowledge here. He wants you to experience and encounter restoration here that will change the rest of your life. Now, here's what I want to do to break this down, okay? Now, I've got to step out of the story for just a moment and ask a question. How many of you are old enough to remember the greatest basketball player of all time, Michael Jordan? Hands in the air. 
Oh, a lot of you guys. Me too. How many of you think somebody else is greater than Michael Jordan? Go ahead and name it. Okay, one person in the Anderson campus, just one. Just, there was a couple more than one. Okay, I'll be honest. You guys remember Michael Jordan people? He wins three world championships, and then all of a sudden he decides he's going to retire from basketball, and where does he go? He goes to play baseball. He decides to go and play for the White Sox. He ends up being on the minor league team down in Birmingham, the Birmingham Barons. He and others decide after a, a little stint playing baseball that he is not the greatest of all time at baseball. He calls a press conference. At this press conference, listen to me, does anybody know what he says? You can go look it up. He calls this press conference, everybody's tuned in, he looks right at the camera, and he says this phrase, I'm going to play basketball. Everybody gets pumped. Everybody is cheering. Everybody's excited. This is your chance. Cheering. Yay, Michael's coming. Okay. He's going to, but you know what? Everybody understood what he was saying. Now, if I go home today, the sun's now shining. It's not monsooning. And I tell my kids, hey, the sun's shining. I'm going to play basketball. You know what my kids are not thinking? This is a career change for dad. That's not what they're thinking. They're thinking, are we playing pig? Are we playing horse? What are we playing, dad? Because I'm just going to play basketball. But I want you to catch this. When Peter goes to Galilee and he tells the disciples, I'm going fishing, I think he is making a Michael Jordan statement. Career change. Now commentators divide on this, but a couple of features that I want you to see. When in just a moment, in John 21, we're going to talk about it. They're fishing all night. You don't go out fishing all night if you're just looking to go wet a line for a day. You go out fishing all night because you're trying to make money to provide for your family. Peter was trying to go back to the thing that he did before he had met Jesus. He believed in the resurrection of Jesus. He saw him. He had met him. He had dinner with him. He had eaten fish with him. The Bible talks about it. But he was just going to go into cruise control for the rest of his days. And he had his fire insurance, and so he wasn't worried about it. But Jesus would not let Peter just believe in the resurrection. He wanted Peter to encounter a restoration. And I believe that's what he is here to tell you today. Do not leave Easter 2023 just believing in a resurrection. Believe that Jesus wants to meet you and is pursuing you unto restoration. Now, how did it happen for Peter? Well, the Bible says that the disciples were fishing all night long. And do you know how many fish they caught, church? Anybody know? Zero, none. The sun's coming up early in the morning. And as the sun comes up early in the morning, we don't know this from Scripture, but I'm just going to put something out because I believe Jesus is a genius teacher. What happens early in the morning? Well, there's alarm clocks that start going off. Maybe there's a rooster that crows somewhere around the Sea of Galilee. And where does that take Peter's mind? Every day roosters crow. Every day, Peter's going to have to deal with the fact that that rooster crow is going to remind him of his spit in the face of his rabbi. I denied my Lord. Now he's resurrected, but Peter's dealing with the guilt of not being restored yet. And the master teacher shows up on the beach that day on Galilee's beach. Now the disciples don't know it because it's still kind of dusky. They can't see. Somebody shouts from the shore, little boys! Have you caught any fish? No. No, not a one. And the shadowy figure on the shore says this phrase. Well, cast your nets on the other side. That might not mean anything to you and me, but you know what? 
that wasn't the first time Peter had heard those words. In Luke chapter 5, Peter had heard a rabbi say those exact words to him. Cast your net on the other side. Peter had done it. They had hauled in such a catch that the nets began to break. It caused Peter to fall down on that day on the shore of Galilee and to make this claim. Depart from me, rabbi. I'm a sinful man. But you know what, church? Jesus doesn't depart in Luke chapter 5. And guess what he's not going to do in John chapter 21? He's not going to depart because he's not intimidated by Peter's sin. He's not intimidated by yours and mine either. Our sin is not enough. That's why the cross is efficacious. His blood has purchased relationship. And Jesus, in Luke 5, actually asked Peter to come and be one of his disciples. So guess what? In John chapter 21, when Peter on the boat hears, cast the net on the other side, he knows who it is. Oh my gosh. This is the master teacher. This is the genius of Jesus. He's taking me right back to the beginning. He's bringing me right back to the clean slate. And he does exactly that. Peter jumps into the lake, swims to the shore, gets there, and Jesus has breakfast waiting on him. They have this beautiful conversation where ultimately Jesus asks Peter three times, do you love me? Peter answers three times, you know I do, Lord. He's taking Peter right back to the three denials. He's restoring him. He is not going to let Peter just know the knowledge of resurrection. He wants him to experience the encounter of restoration. It is there in this place where Jesus does not let Peter be a fisherman anymore. Because you know what Peter was for the rest of his days? He wasn't a fisherman, church. He was a shepherd. He didn't just settle for going and working the nine to five and just kind of getting his fire insurance. He experienced the gap close from resurrection to restoration. And look at me. I believe that there are thousands, maybe even millions, of Christ followers around the world that have the knowledge of Jesus' resurrection. That's why you're here today. But it'll be the encounter of restoration that'll cause you to enter into an everyday relationship with Jesus. And I want you to know that's what he has on offer. He pursued, listen, nothing else in the scripture happened up at the Sea of Galilee. The only reason Jesus wanted the disciples to go there was so that he could take Peter back to the beginning. It's the only reason. He wanted to restore and establish. So here's my question for you. Now this is bold what I'm about to ask. What is the grossest, nastiest failure you've ever made in your life? What is it? And have you let the Lord meet you there? What if Jesus Christ wanted to weaponize your failure and turn it into a victory that causes the enemy to back up? What if your denial, whatever it is, wasn't meant to be compartmentalized over here in this part of your life, but was meant to be owned that Jesus can forgive it and that you can walk free today Whatever the failure has been. Listen, so many failures. I've experienced this in my own life. I don't have time to testify to all of it, but I'll just tell you one that is massive. I was an addict. 17 and a half years ago, I looked at it face, face to face that I could not, listen to me, the preacher, the pastor, this was before I was on staff here at this church, I could not overcome an addiction to pornography. Had tried in my own strength. And I knew the resurrection power, but I felt so removed from the actual victory of the cross. I felt like I could sing on Easter Sunday, but I felt so defeated on Monday. And it wasn't until ultimately I let the Lord meet me in that broken place and encountered 
through restoration, forgiveness of the worst parts of me. I want you to know, whatever it is, Jesus doesn't expect you to carry it and just, just have a really strong face about you and grip it and rip it for the rest of your days. He wants you to know that his resurrection power has come to restore you. He wants to pursue you. So whatever it is, the addiction, the abortion, the rage, the unforgiveness, the hurt, the pain, if you would be willing this Easter to say, Jesus, I want to be free, and you would trust that he's not going to embarrass you, he doesn't want to deal uh, with more shame and condemnation, instead he wants to remove it from you, and he wants to give you grace and forgiveness, and so does his church, so do his people. That's the good news of Easter, because as we said at the beginning, celebration this weekend is about seeing what the enemy has intended for evil. God wants to use for good. And so here's what I want to do. I want to invite you to your feet on all of our campuses, and we're going to enter into a time of response. And I want to invite you not to hide behind church clothes and pastels, though they look good. And I want to invite you to come again Come and be restored. Come and respond to the resurrection. In your room on your campus, there is a cross. That cross is for people that want to give their life to Jesus Christ. In just a moment, I'm going to free you up to begin to move. If you know you need to accept by faith the forgiveness of Jesus Christ on the cross, if you have never done that, then we have ministry teams that are beginning to move right now. They will be right there at that cross. If you want to give your life to Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, They'll meet you there. But if you have already been, by faith, saved, I want to invite you to come to the Lord's table today and to come to the prayer areas today and be reminded that he's not satisfied with just you believing in his resurrection. He wants you to encounter his restoration. So two questions. In here today, I've got to ask, have you seen the resurrected Jesus? Is there anybody in this room that needs to respond to that? If you need to, we will wait for you to come to the cross. That's question number one. Question number two, what area of restoration do you need in your life? This is for every woman and man in the room. We're all a work in progress. We all need to see Jesus close the gap for restoration and resurrection. And I want to invite you to come and receive communion today, saints in the room. And be reminded of the love of Jesus that pursued Peter and is still pursuing you and I today. All right? If you want to come and receive prayer, maybe for physical ailment or something going on in your life, we have prayer areas in the room. And I just want you to take a moment when I get done praying and our worship teams come to ask the Lord, Lord, where do I need to go and what do I need to do? And just trust where he leads. There'll be people moving all over the room there's stations all over the room in the balcony. There's stations on the floor. The altar will be open. Let's respond to the good news of Jesus this Easter weekend. Father God, thank you. Thank you that you died on the cross for our forgiveness. And you resurrected in power so that we might be saved. But Lord, I want to say thank you that you didn't just leave us with that knowledge. But you pursue us to restore us. To change the most embarrassing parts of our story to the most victorious parts that give you glory. And so, Lord, would we not steal your glory today by smuggling our, our 
Areas of embarrassment or shame and condemnation that we're carrying. Would you shame the devil today as he whispers to us to continue to keep it all concealed? Lord, would you let your church walk in the power of confession? If there's conversations that need to be had, if there is prayer that needs to be entered into, Lord, would you do it by the power of your spirit? Would you claim your victory as we move and receive your supper again? Just like Peter received breakfast on the beach, would your saints come to your table today and receive your bread and your cup and be restored yet again, renewed, that we might enter into and be reminded of an everyday relationship with you. We ask all of this in Christ's name, and we pray together. Amen. Go ahead and make your plan, and then when you feel the Lord lead, please move. All right, let's worship. Thanks for listening to the New Spring Church Podcast. Make sure to visit our website at newspring.cc for more content, including videos, articles, and devotionals to help you have an everyday relationship with Jesus. Or plan a visit to one of our campuses across the state of South Carolina.